right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Whatever Podcast Episode 7. Uh, today we're going to cover a couple topics like Ryan Reynolds wanting Hugh Jackman, a.k.a. Wolverine, to make a cameo in the Deadpool movie. Um, we're going to cover a little bit more on Suicide Squad, not too much because we've kind of covered it to death, but we've got some cool new, uh, new pictures to add to it. Um, Greg Capullo has some uh, issues with uh, DC's ad placement in the uh, coming months comic books. Uh, some Tron 3 news. Uh, our Supergirl Episode 1 pilot review, um, which we finally get to do. And we're going to talk a little bit more about Eddie's SG-1 rewatch. So, um, starting out, yeah, Ryan Reynolds wants Hugh Jackman in the movie. Um, I was really excited about that, actually. Yeah, me too. Like, I, they have... They don't have to. In fact, they probably won't. But it would be super awesome to make that happen because the whole uh, Deadpool Wolverine interactions are some of the best in in Marvel. But yeah, would love that, and especially because I think they could get a nice uh, fourth wall breaking jab at the Wolverine movie if if they did it. Totally, and even the interaction between Ryan Reynolds and Hugh Jackman in the shitty Wolverine Origins movie, uh, we're good. You know the. That movie didn't suck because of the actors involved. No. And the, there were a couple of funny parts. And yeah, I actually liked, you know, before they took took his mouth away, it was, uh, wasn't too bad. He, he was doing fine. So anyway, it would be cool. Let's yeah. see it. They, they took the Merc with the mouth and cut his mouth or sewed his mouth shut. And yeah, that was of course, makes perfect sense. Right. Right. Like, I, I look forward to the next Superman rewrite when they're like, you know what? Let's just not give him any powers. And there'll be a giant spider. Yeah. Oh, sorry, Kevin Smith. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah, uh, not really a whole lot to cover on that because it's something that Ryan Reynolds just wants to, to have happen. Hugh Jackman has said that Wolverine 3 is going to be his last foray into um, the Marvel Universe's Wolverine. Um, but the good news is that uh, that doesn't mean he can't be in Deadpool because that's actually slated to appear in February of 2016. So if they can get the scheduling right, there could at least be, you know, maybe a small scene in there somewhere. So Yeah, I mean, seriously, he could do a cameo in a day or two. Make it happen. Here's hoping. Same studio anyway. Come on. Um, next up, we got uh, more pictures from Suicide Squad. Uh, you might have already seen these. I just I found the uh, full compiled link on Reddit of all of the Suicide Squad uh, uh, leaks so far. And I hadn't seen all these. Um, there's a few more pics of the Joker. We've got a few more um, uh, costume pictures of like Killer Croc. And, and uh, there's even one of Batman in there. Can't two of qu- Batman. Two of Batman. Can't quite tell if that's um, Bat- uh, Ben Affleck in the suit there. Um, looks similar enough that it could definitely be a stunt, uh, stunt double or something like that. But not quite, uh, quite clear if it's him or not. Definitely has his chin. But, yeah. you know. Yep. And that may be how they cast the stunt double. Like, oh, you can do flips and you've got the chin. You're in, man. Yeah, you've got stubble on your chin and it's that chin. So Yeah. Um, yeah, man. Um, I'm, I'm excited about the fact that we could possibly see Batman in Suicide Squad. I don't think it quite overshadows the shittiness that is the Joker and the stills that we've seen. And, right. Um, I think they're... Um, have you seen there's an animated version and I'm sure this comes from some comic storyline too um, Assault on Arkham is that one of the more recent ish yes it's recent enough that I think Damian Wayne is the Robin in it and it and it is 
It covers. It's mostly the the Suicide Squad, right? Yeah. Yeah. I thought it, I thought it was going to be like a Batman movie, and it's almost like seventy five percent Suicide Squad. So I think I did. Yeah, I did. I did watch that one. Then, in fact, I watched it within the last three four weeks. I would I would say so. Yeah, I think they're doing something like that. Like, um, I think Batman's going to play a very very small part. Like, obviously, otherwise they would have called it you know Batman. Uh, yeah, but. Uh, I think he's going to play a very, very small part, mainly just to establish the universe or help establish the universe of the Suicide Squad because... Um, Tie it together a little bit. Yeah. Um, especially because I think DC wants to extend their uh, cinematic u- universe a little bit more. But, yeah, nothing really super new there. Um, you can go see why... Um, or see how Margot Robbie looks as awesome as uh, um, Harley as the Joker looks completely terrible. Um yeah, I'm. I'm. I'm going to say this, and you know, this isn't the last time we're going to hear me say this before the movie actually comes out. But right now, Margot Robbie is the saving grace of of the Suicide Squad movie for me. Uh, Will Smith is definitely, I think, going to do a good job. I just don't care enough about a Will Smith Deadshot movie to make that the reason I go see it. But Margot Robbie, she can be my Harley Quinn any day. Um. Yeah. I'm in. Let's face it, Margot Robbie's super hot, but uh, I'm excited for a Harley Quinn movie and one here where you know hopefully she's she uh, pulls it off once you actually hear what she says. But um, so far, looks great. Looks like a great take on Harley. Yeah, yeah, definitely haven't haven't heard any dialogue from her or anything like that. So it'll be interesting. Um, other DC news: we have Greg Capullo um, making some statements. Um, about well, I mean, he's not necessarily making statements. He's obviously not happy though about DC's decision of ad placement in uh, the coming weeks for the the DC Comics. But I guess what they're doing is on the twofold pages they want to put an ad that covers the center of the comic book, so half on one page, half on the other page, and then you're only going to get comic book art on the on the outer edges. Um, my understanding is it's just one ad, and it's just going to be the first issues coming off of the Convergence storyline, to my knowledge. Um, obviously, I'm not an insider. There's very little information about it on the internet other than what Capullo posted on his Twitter account um, back on May 28th, um, which we, we put a screen cap of in case the comment gets deleted. But thus far, it hasn't, so you may want to... You may have the opportunity to go back and, and read the whole thread at some point. Yeah. Uh, I think that's a pretty terrible idea. Um, thus far, I think it's kind of been industry standard to have the art separate from the ads, um, which, t- you know, if you have to have ads at all, I think that's the way you do it. Um, so th- this seems to me a little bit greedy-ish. I, I don't know if they're, you know... I doubt the books are struggling so bad that they need to find that much of a new revenue stream and they could they could not do it without. I mean, it was certainly gotten much smaller uh, um, publishers that aren't resorting to that sort of tactic. So I don't like it. looks terrible. Well, that's kind of the problem is that uh, art is the medium to communicate or, or tell the story. I mean, yes, there's dialogue, but you can you can have comic book dialogue on blank pages and, and you won't understand what's going on. I mean, the art has to be there. And when you interrupt that, it's disrespectful to not only the artist, but the fans who read it. So, um, you know, and I don't even know what ad it is. Maybe it's, maybe it's something that is supposed to be earth shattering or, you know, so I, I don't know. I, 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 
I have a hard time trying to find a way to even justify doing what they're doing, but you know, maybe there's a good reason. Yeah, to me, it's a little bit like if Netflix started playing ads in their shows. I mean, certainly we we're not surprised to see ads in um, TV shows because that's you know the traditional model. But once you get used to seeing it a certain way, it really throws you off when you start seeing it. You know that the other. Yeah, yeah, and I think I think Netflix is is gone. And this is this is a little bit off topic, but I mean, if we're if we're gonna take it down that road, I think Netflix has kind of proven that you can, <clears throat> excuse me, you can have a uh, a paid service at a very low monthly cost and avoid having ads totally. I mean, I'm paying eight bucks a month for streaming. I don't do DVDs or anything like that. And Netflix seems to be not only staying afloat but thriving i mean they're taking on new series themselves when you know they, they're not being picked up by networks or maybe maybe they're not even being offered to networks maybe netflix is is the preferred medium for some of these shows like daredevil and and you know orange is the new black things like that i don't know if they were ever even offered to cable networks before they they hit netflix so um i'd say a lot of companies could follow that business model yeah, they are experimenting a little bit. Like I don't know if you've, you've seen this, but uh, they've been pushing a new show, and uh, I recognize one person from it, and that's Jeanette McCurdy, who plays uh, one of the characters on iCarly. Because mm-hmm. you know, I have a, a daughter, and she watches that. So, um, but they're doing that one differently because unlike Daredevil, where all you know twelve or thirteen episodes came out at once, they are actually releasing these weekly. Yeah, they're dropping them once a week. I did. I did see the the little banner across the bottom that says new episodes every week or something like that. So um, that'll be interesting. Really surprised, or I'll be, I guess, really intrigued to see how that turns out. Like, first off, um, it's not what I would consider one of their flagship shows. Um, and possibly it will be, but it, it does it does seem like a, a lesser known show. I, I certainly hadn't seen or heard anything of it before I saw the banner on Netflix, so... Is this I, is this Sam from Mike Carly? Is that yeah? I think yeah. so. I, mean, I think probably the blonde chick, right? Yep. Not iCarly. Nope. I think I think she kind of ruled that show anyway. I don't I don't know that iCarly. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Next week we'll cover Hannah Montana. Don't worry, people. Yeah. We really got to get our whole Disney Nickelodeon trifecta. Um, <laughs> so anyway, I think it would have been interesting to see. You know, like what if they did Daredevil season two. Um, as a weekly, I wonder how that would affect uh, um, Netflix. You know, because one of the things I said before is, if suddenly Netflix wasn't a good value proposition anymore, or their content just got so terrible, the only thing I watched it for for was Daredevil. I would certainly pay for a month just to watch Daredevil. Um, but if it came out, but are you, you know, gonna pay week, for you know two and it, a half months or three months? That's yeah, for that, one that's show. the question. You know, like um, if they go with a more traditional, you know, because like HBO Go, for example, at the very least, if you only watch Game of Thrones or something like that, you're going to pay for HBO Go, the standalone product, while it's on the air. And HBO releases, you know, with the traditional weekly model. So th- there's a little bit more of a revenue stream there if your attraction is solely that type of content. Yeah, it, it'll be it'll be interesting. I it. There's no ratings system for Netflix-only shows, as far as I know. Um, you know, Nielsen doesn't touch it, I don't think. So it, it would be interesting to see if their numbers stay consistent over the course of the TV show being released weekly. 
versus the the huge spike that I'm sure they get when Orange is the New Black drops a new season or Daredevil or whatever the case may be. They, I mean, they've got to base it purely off of like new subscribers or something like that. And I'm sure um, a show like Daredevil, especially, uh, um, was probably big for them. It, it was you know critically acclaimed and something that is pretty hot right now, which is you know comic book nerd type of stuff. And a really fucking good show. I mean, yeah. And if he was just going dressing up in black unitards and beating people up, it would still have been a good show. You know, yeah. even if he wasn't Daredevil. So. Um, no, yep. I, I, I get where you're where you're going with that for sure. Um, the Capullo situation though seems to have mellowed out real quick. I mean, he made the the few tweets about it, um, and then almost immediately uh, made a comment about Caitlyn Jenner um, and posted a <laughs> picture of himself with makeup, and that seems to have deflected any of the attention away from the DC ad placement <laughs> and put him directly in the line of fire. Um, I, I'm going to go ahead and, and say that I don't believe Capullo was trying to uh, talk smack about Caitlyn Jenner or anything else. I, I think he was just making a joke and some people took it the wrong way. You know, maybe it was the wrong time, but who knows? It was... I found the humor in it and I completely don't see anything wrong with Caitlyn Jenner uh, having done what she did. So, you know, it is what it is. I caught none of that. So um, I missed that whole thing with uh, Capullo, so no clue. I actually, I, I only noticed it because I you you posted the screener, and I out of curiosity tonight before we went on, I uh, I scrolled through his Twitter feed for the last few days. <laughs> <laughs> there was a lot more Jenner content than there was DC ad content. <laughs> That's good stuff. Yeah. Anything else on Capullo? No. Netflix? Man. Yeah. Until the issues come out, I, I have no idea how to even speak to it from any point of view. But my gut feeling as a, as a fan, I don't like it. Yeah. Why why you got to do that, DC? Yeah. You got to do that. So, Tron 3. Dead in the water, huh? Or, you know, formally known as Tron 3. Yeah, so, okay, so for anybody... Um, first off, if you haven't seen any of the Tron movies, the new Tron movie is a sequel. Um, but you can totally watch it on its own like i think it stands very very well on its own and i really liked it i mean definitely it's not like um the most the best movie i've ever seen or anything like that but it's got a really cool ambiance and if nothing else daft punk's soundtrack for uh the movie is awesome like i I listen to that on its own just because it's really really good um and and then disney came up and and they just killed tron 3 i'm gonna killed it i'm gonna take the unpopular view and say that I didn't see Tron Legacy um, at all and the biggest reason why is because I just I didn't give a shit about Tron 1 um, it was kind of old I mean the concept was kind of cool but it never grabbed me I tried to watch it throughout the years growing up didn't didn't really ever take hold so I didn't watch Tron Legacy I, I was told that I should have based on nothing more than the visual effects that, that went into Tron Legacy and, and maybe one of these days I will but um, the Tron 3 thing obviously there's a lot of people out there that do like Tron so I'm kind of disappointed for them that, that Disney killed this one I'm not really sure why maybe maybe they're throwing all their eggs in the Marvel basket and just didn't want to budget for it I don't, I don't know see I'm kind of curious about that too my gut would say that Tron Legacy 
was a success, um, you know, commercially. Like, I'm sure they made more money on it. Um, but no, yeah, you should totally watch it. I think those are, first off, the story is, is nothing magical. Um, it, it's a fairly, I guess, standard story. There's nothing that's going to blow your mind about that. But the visuals are amazing. Um, and the whole the whole world that Tron is in, especially in Legacy, is really fun to watch. Um, and yeah, that that soundtrack, the soundtrack, I I freaking love. So yeah, yeah, I'm I'm not opposed to at some point sitting down and checking it out. It's just uh, I got a lot of other stuff that I'll probably get to first. Yeah. Um, oh, and and uh, we were talking about this on last week's episode about shitty um, uh, computer interfaces that don't really exist in real life. And yeah. why, do, why do they do that? Tron actually gets it right before they completely, you know, destroy everything because the Tron universe obviously makes no sense if you're talking about real com- computers. But he sits down at a Unix terminal, which could have actually potentially existed at this time frame um, because, you know, Unix was a thing there. And he actually types real commands. Um, wow. Yeah. I completely blew my mind. All right. I'm, I'm going to give them my seal of approval just yeah. for that. <laughs> yeah, I, I, and then of course when that happened, I looked at my wife and I said, "This is Unix. I know this," and and she just rolled her eyes at me. Because Ashley, without knowing it, understands that Unix is completely useless at this point. <laughs> Maybe not completely, but oh, you got to be kidding me right now. You okay? First <laughs> off, it depends. If you're talking about Unix on its own, like there's not a lot of popular Unix Unix. Uh, um, outside of Mac OS um, and maybe BSD but BSD is really really not popular but uh, all of its you know children so so uh, called children with Linux of course Red Hat and such yeah yeah so no um, I get where you're going and cousins and we do maybe use a lot of more. Linux everywhere if you have an Android phone you're using the bastard child of Unix yeah so but um, anyway but yeah so no Tron three sorry guys bastards um but what we do have which isn't squashed is supergirl um i finally watched the pilot that was leaked when we when we originally reviewed the extended preview that was released several weeks back uh neither eddie nor myself really gave it a whole lot of hope in terms of what it could be um i'm gonna say while i'm not altogether a changed man I am more hopeful for the series now that I've seen the full extended pilot. Still don't like Jimmy. No, nope. I'm going to keep calling him Jimmy. I don't care how many times he says his name is James. Yep. Um, but um, I would say that uh, the girl who actually plays Kara, I, and I, forgive me because I don't actually have anything in front of me that's telling me her name. Melissa. Is that Melissa? Melissa something? Melissa B? I, you're... I, it's cool. It's cool. Keep going. Yeah. I'll, I'll get it. Anyway, um, I I really liked her in it. Um, and the thing that I really, really, really liked that I think they could probably run with for a while is it wasn't just three prisoners escaping the Phantom Zone, like in the old school Superman movies and whatever. Um, in this particular take on things, the criminals that were banished to the Phantom Zone, it was an entire prison, basically. Um which is more true to how they did things in the comics, although the Phantom Zone was was the prison. It wasn't like they they sent a prison to the Phantom Zone. 
Um, but it looks like there's a lot more Phantom Zone criminals um, in this one that she's going to have to deal with. It'll probably be kind of a Monster of the Week type scenario with each one being a different Phantom Zone escapee um, until she finally meets up with the General, who I think is a female General Zod, is the impression I'm getting. I, I didn't actually go on IMDb and look and see if she was named or anything. But Are you kidding me? Okay, so I, I read nothing about that. So that would be... I don't know if that would be interesting or terrible. Anywho. Uh, they kept calling her general, so I was... Okay, so a um, few, th- few thoughts. First off, uh, there are some absolutely ridiculously cringy parts of dialogue in the show. Um, and so a couple I'm going to call out, and I don't want you to get the wrong idea here because I consider myself at least feminist positive. As in, I'd like to see more um, interesting women characters on TV. And I don't think that um, um, all of the huge women characters we see should fail the Bechtel test uh, uh, quite so frequently. Um, So it's cool to see something like this on TV. However, they hit you in the face with a mallet. You know, like, it it is, like, so in your face. Like, it's like that uh, Family Guy gif where, where it's just the guy repeatedly hitting the kid in the face with a wallet. Uh, go look that up. <laughs> anyway, that's how it felt watching that because there's some of them like uh, unnamed waitress has the line of like seeing Supergirl on TV where she says something like, "Oh, that's that's that girl. Sure, sure is nice to finally have somebody for my daughter to look up to." Like, okay, you're not actually supposed to say that. Like, you you don't come out and say, "Well, she's a strong, powerful woman, so you like her," you know. And that's that is very much how the dialogue feels. It very much feels like. And not in a good way. Like sometimes when you see Cisco say something on on the Flash that is probably absolutely real world what the, the the fans would say, it's not like that kind of like oh yay. It's like really did did we really have to have to be that hammy about it? Just you know come out and spell it out for you. And there's more than a few different places where that happens in the show that is just ridiculously, uh, um, uh, I guess corny writing. Two completely ridiculously echo your thoughts about uh hating uh jimmy not james olsen um so first off there there is jimmy olsen's in the show they just call him something else um, yeah it just it just isn't jimmy olsen yeah the nerdy guy in the show that's friends with kara they should have called that guy jimmy olsen and called this other guy something else call him you know love interest number one or something like that um whatever you want but he is clearly not to me anything like Jimmy Olsen, and again, not in a good way, as I expect him. Yeah, no, I'm I'm not exactly up on on that whole thing. I do also completely hate Callista Flockhart as Cat Grant. Oh, it, she's terrible. <laughs> not even going to be apologetic about it. That character is terrible. I don't even give a shit who. I mean, maybe somebody else could do it differently, but I think I think Calissa Flockhart, for the most part, is probably doing what she's asked. But that character is terribly written. That character is a giant cliche. Like they literally yeah. just said, "Do exactly what they did in Devil Wears Prada." Like, be that character. Be the character from Devil Wears Prada, but channel J. Jonah Jameson from the first Tobey Maguire Spider-Man. Oh, good point. Yeah. So I guess there is slight amounts of direction there, but yeah, it so not good, so yeah. not good. Yeah, totally not happy with that. What what I do think is cool is the character of Hank Henshaw being involved. For those of you who may not know this, Hank Henshaw is actually the name of the man who eventually would become the cyborg Superman during the mid late nineties, 
um, Superman run after he died. Um, the Hank Henshaw cyborg Superman was one of the Supermen that took his place, um, ultimately being revealed to be a bad guy before the series was over. And it'll be really interesting to me as a comic book fan who read all of that to see if they take any kind of page, so to speak, out of the comics uh, with the Hank Henshaw character from Supergirl, because I think that'd be cool. Yeah. Um, there are some other good positives, too. Like, um, the effects in the show are pretty good. The CG. I like how mm-hmm. the flying looks for the most part. Um, yeah, I would agree with that. The fight. Uh, there's a fight towards the end of the episode uh, um, where Kara stops a truck. That that was pretty rad looking. Mm-hmm. Um, and they get the bones of the story fairly good, fairly uh, uh, well. So we open with a monologue from Kara because that's what you do on superhero shows. My name is the hero. And this is how I came to be. Like, that is now the thing for superhero shows. So. DC superhero shows in particular, yes. Yeah. Um, and they get that story right, and I, I'm not surprised, but happy they just decided to come out and, and go that direction because they could have done all kinds of silly things and sort of tried to avoid its comic booky nature. I have a couple other positives, too. Not to, not to cut you off. No, go for it. Um one one thing that I really like as a, as a fan of comic book TV shows and movies dating back into the older days is her adoptive parents that uh, that her cousin actually took her to live with. Um, the big guy? Much, him? They actually said the name Superman, though, in this. That that was one of the positives I was getting to. I, I did... I was happy that they actually didn't avoid it completely. Yeah, um, I, I think they were probably restricted on how often they could use it because they did come up with other ways to refer to him throughout the show. Yeah, um, but Dean Kane, um, also known as Clark Kent slash Superman from the Lois and Clark TV show, and Helen Slater, also known as Supergirl from the '80s Supergirl movie, um, and then again um, they brought her into the universe one other time in Smallville. She actually played Lara in Smallville in a couple episodes. Um, so as kind of an homage to, to past performers within the um, DC verse, I, I thought that was kind of a cool callback to those. A similar call, DC verse callback is you know in the Flash, uh, um, Barry's dad actually played by former Flash you know from the '90s, which is cool. Wesley so, Allen Ship, yes. So um, maybe that's Berlanti. I think it's Greg Berlanti who does uh, the shows. Yeah, does Supergirl and, and the Flash especially. Um, maybe that's his influence shining through, but yeah, I like that too. Um, the thing that was kind of surprising is, did Dean Kane even get a speaking line in the first episode? I think he had a line or two, like maybe. Might I, have said, I like, just watched it last night, and that was honestly not... I almost didn't realize what was happening until I looked up. So, I mean, I, I, I you just about missed it, but I, I think he might have had a line or two. Um, yeah, I, I did think that part was cool. Um, there's a couple different things that I'm looking forward to overall. Uh, just anybody from CBS that might hear this, tone down Cat Grant, man. She's going to kill a show if you don't, because that's just, her character is awful. Awful. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm going to go that way, and I'm going to say the uh, the effects are cool, the acting isn't too terrible, uh, um, the thing that kills the show for me so far is the writing. Um, this was 
literally some of the worst dialogue I can remember. Like some of it was so cringy, I almost wanted to stop watching it. And the story for the first episode was pretty crap. Um, so, um, and again, I'm not necessarily expecting the best story, and it's probably not fair to compare to The Flash, which has been by far one of my runaway favorite shows in recent memory. Of the last several years. <laughs> but The Flash started really strong and just went up from there. So, um, even Arrow, Arrow's had a really weak season this season, um, but it, it started on a stronger note, and I cared a lot more about the characters from Arrow um, by the end of episode one than I do about anybody in in um, the Supergirl universe so far. So, yeah, no, I, I totally I totally agree with that. And to speak to your point about feminism, if you're gonna be that brazen about the feminist qualities of the show that you're just gonna basically say it having cat grant act the way that she does in that show pretty much just kills any progress you tried to make see okay so now this is gonna go down a whole nother bunny trail but for me take anything you want to uh, um encourage so when it comes to feminism um when it comes to gay rights when it comes to um advocating against prejudice uh, prejudice, um, you generally don't do it by coming out and slapping people in the face with it you you do it by just doing the normal thing where it's never an issue for discussion Um, so for example you don't come out and say look this is a strong female character blah 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 in the show almost literally in the dialogue like that you just come out and be a strong female character write a strong female character which almost never involves highlighting the fact that she's female um which they do over and over in this show so uh, to me i think that it's going to do the opposite which is detract from the message they're trying to send because the people who are anti-feminist uh um or You know, again, take it with anything. The people who are anti-gay rights, the people who are anti-African-American minority, etc., are just going to latch onto that because now they know what's going on. They know you're trying to, you know, sort of subvert their thought process a little bit. Um, And you don't really do that by coming out and spelling it out like that. You do it by just write the character. Write the character and then ignore the fact that she's a woman and then just let her be a strong female character. Honestly, if you want to learn how to write a strong female lead, watch anything that Joss Whedon has ever done. Yeah. He See, can do it in a way that just makes a really good character without it being a really good female character or male character or anything else. They're just really, really good characters. And that's what you have to do if you want people to buy into what you're selling. Right. Um, and that's... Uh, I think that's that's sort of a strong um, backup to what I'm saying is, and that's because Joss doesn't write a woman character. Joss writes a character that is a woman. Like it, it's uh, um, sort of exactly what I'm saying. Like if you took away from the fact that she's a woman, or if you suddenly made the character not a woman anymore, it doesn't take much away from the character because that's not what defines the character. Um, so while clearly um, Supergirl needs to be a woman, um, the the um parts that define her character are not necessarily the fact that she is a woman so um but that seems to be how a lot of people write it um or especially when they're trying to you know quote unquote make progress is to highlight the fact that you know she's a woman i'm a woman and i can do all these things well no just do the things and people can see that you know like 
don't come out and spell it. Yeah, yeah. To me, I mean, the name of the show is Supergirl. I understand that she's a girl. I don't have to be slapped in the face with feminine hygiene products to get that. Right. So, yeah, I think we're agreed. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> show title. <laughs> <laughs> don't slap me with tampons. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> um, which... I so yeah, after Supergirl, I guess the only thing um, that we really need to address. I mean, we'll definitely we got a couple other things we can talk about tonight. But um, your Stargate SG One experience, where we where are we at so far? Okay, so I am a few episodes past. I probably watched five or six episodes. So I think we last left off somewhere around the Broken Divide. Yeah, um, I think that was the last one you watched. And then I watched the First Commandment. Uh, the takeaway I got from that particular episode was that I spent half of it going, who is that guy? Before I finally, you know, IMDb'd and found out it's the dad from Boy Meets World. Um, so the first commandment takes something, um, that it was the dad from Boy Meets World. (laughs) I never cared that much, but now it's funny. Yeah. Good. Um, so yeah, I I was watching the whole thing like, who is that guy? I know. Okay. And then I finally had to figure it out. So anyway, um, First Commandment basic story is uh, they arrive on a planet sort of as a follow-up mission. One of the other SG teams is there. Um, and what has happened essentially is that the leader of a said SG team uh, has sort of gone crazy and basically taken over as a uh, uh, sort of god-king type of character. Um, with, the, with the native peoples? Yeah, it's a pretty forgettable episode overall. Um, story's not too bad. Acting, you know, it's just nothing special. So One of the more important talking points of that episode, I think, is that the um, the atmosphere, I think, is is probably thin. I don't think they have as, as much shielding from the sun, so it's yep extremely harmful when you're exposed to it for a long time, and the dick move that this guy is doing is sitting in the shade um, while he's having the inhabitants of the planet basically build him a temple and kill themselves all day doing it so um your typical dick dictator move yeah self-deluded dictator yeah uh next episode after that is cold lazarus um cold lazarus finds the sg1 team arriving on a planet um which is basically a desert a desert with a bunch of crystalline uh um crystals crystals yeah crystals i guess we just stick with crystals um lining the planet uh jack touches one of the only remaining uh, um solid ones essentially and gets cloned essentially the clone takes his place um for the rest of the episode which actually served as really great exposition for the character of jack o'neill um we get to learn more about his relationship with his wife and how that all fell apart um it goes into depth about uh charlie who is jack's dead son um uh so overall not a bad episode i liked it just because you get to see more about who jack o'neill is which at this point is pretty light i mean jack o'neill especially in the early episodes is your very quint quintessential you know strong silent type so I really like that episode. Um, that every time I rewatch the series, I always forget how good that episode is. And then when I'm find myself watching it, like that's one of the few episodes. I don't want to say few. Like like there's there's a lot of forgettable episodes. But for the most part, when I've seen the series a few times, I can kind of go about my business doing other things. And that one kind of grabs me. I always I, I end up watching that one a lot. 
Um, just because, like you said, it's one of the few episodes where we really kind of get a behind-the-scenes look at Jack O'Neill's life before he was who he is now. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I totally agree with that one. It really adds a lot of depth to the character, too, because you get to see... Um... You know, he used to be like a normal guy, and now he's this sort of, you know, quasi-broken individual. Um, or it, it, you know, it's it's just a really good episode for the character exposition of Jack O'Neill. So, anyway, yeah, loved it. Agreed. Uh, did you did you get a chance to watch the Knox? I did actually. I've probably, yeah, I'm up to Hathor. So the Knox. Um, oh man, you watched a lot. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Cool. It's been a, a productive week. With all your children puking and such. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, honey, can't help you. SG-1's about to go off-world again. Um, so many of the Nox was a pretty good episode. Um, I like the Nox because this is one of the episodes that sort of uh, challenges first impressions. Um, so the Nox appear to be a fairly um, unevolved race. Um, or, you know, even a little bit simple Uh and you know looks can be deceiving so this episode was fun especially when one of the main characters is armin shimmerman yeah (laughs) who other other listeners may remember as quark from star trek to space nine or principal snyder from buffy the vampire slayer if you're into that show but jesus christ that guy's got a look yeah this is one of my favorite episodes i think this sets up stuff that happens later in the series um the knocks are certainly reoccurring not super often, but they come back. I'm sure they play a role for sure. They're yep. one of the they're one of the four races. Yep, which uh, I think won't make any sense until season two. No, actually, that'll make sense. I think later this oh, season. Torment. Yeah, torment. Um, after that, we have brief candle. The SG team goes to a world in which everybody only lives for about a hundred days. It's an interesting idea, but it, it's a little hammy, too. Um, you know, they basically overthrow a god in, like, about 15 minutes or something like that. Um, these people have been believing. And again, they're basically children, given that they only live for 100 days. But they've been believing for generation after generation that there's this god that, you know, is great and wonderful. And the SG-1 uh, team shows up, and, you know, like, two days later, they're like, oh, yeah, let's tear that statue down. Move on. Yeah, it's one of those episodes that gets critically was really popular and I'll admit the first time I saw it I thought it was it was a cool idea but it does not hold up to rewatching or anything like that really it didn't age well um the episode idea is cool um so again uh season 1 so far pretty heavily into Jack O'Neill um so Jack is one one of the, one of the SG team that's afflicted by this thing that um causes this rapid aging um and so you get some more exposition and and more about jack o'neill in there too um which i really liked that part was strong but the it's also one of the episodes where you realize that unlike star trek there are no set rules on doing the hibbity dibbity with oh, alien yeah. life forms because that's how that's how he became afflicted yeah <laughs> So, um, the, this is also... Sorry, one of the, man, I didn't mean to derail you. <laughs> no, that's funny, because one of the things I was thinking about in relation to Star Trek was, there clearly is no prime directive for the SG teams. No. <laughs> They're just like, no, no, we should just... We should, your God's fake. Yeah, your Don't God listen. sucks. 
<laughs> screw your stupid civilization and your shitty gods. We're fixing that shit right now. Yeah. Um. So, not a bad episode. Just didn't, you know, like you said, didn't really hold up to rewatching so much for me. Um, Thor's hammer is next. Uh, Thor's hammer. I think I'm not sure if we know this yet, but this is the first introduction we get to Asgard um, and the Asgardian peoples. Although I, I I don't remember, but I don't think they really explain that. A little bit. We don't know exactly what the Asgard are. Yeah. Because every every, well, not every, because we only see them a couple times during this episode. But the actual Asgard um, that we see is basically just a, a a hollow projection, right? Of what we as humans, it, it is understand the, the the Norse people to have looked like. Yeah, it is the legend. You see, you know, what is probably something that looks very much like you would picture in the North Norse mythology of Thor. Um, basic storyline is um, this particular planet is sort of outlined by the, by the Gould. Um, the Gould don't go there because as soon as you get through the gate, you're um, basically judged. If you have a Gould, you're sent to the labyrinth um, and you're expected to die there. Um, at least the Gould portion is... Um, the tricky part of this is that uh, the hammer, Thor's hammer, which, you know, as in the title, Thor's hammer, is what kills the Goulds, but manages to leave the host intact, um, which is not a problem for, you know, uh, um, full Gould proper, you know, like Apophis or something like that, but is a prob- problem for the Jaffa, like Tilk, who happens to get sucked into the thing, so. Yeah, he can... The hammer sent him into the labyrinth. It didn't, but but it's exiting the labyrinth, isn't it? That actually kills the uh, the gold symbiote. Yep. Yeah. Which which comes into play toward the end of the episode. It's also the introduction of the Unas. This is the first time we see an Unas. Yeah. Um. Which is really kind of neat. Um, which were the the species that hosted the gold before humans. Yeah. Um, and I like that little bit of backstory there too. Um, this is just one of the many things that I, I like about SG One is that they have a very, very rich uh, backstory and uh, um, expanded universe. So that was kind of cool. I'm, I'm before we leave this episode, I'm, I'm reading the IMDb description, and I think it's really funny because it says Daniel Jackson must destroy the device that could someday have saved his wife in order to free his friends. They don't really touch on that in the episode at all. It's no, like... they do a little. Um, a little, but I mean, it's not like... <laughs> no, towards the end, they do... I mean, I think he comes out and says, you know, like, but this could save Shari, and Teal'c is like, I'll, you know, no, it's fine, I'll just die down here. Um, and I, then guess, finally, I guess you're like, right. No, we'll, uh, let's save Teal'c, fine. I, I just think it's made a bigger deal of in the description, as I'm reading it, than I remember it being in the episode, because it was like, they're not going to let Teal'c die anyway. You know, like, yeah. that was never going to happen, so... I- I think that whole thing happened in the last, you know, six or seven minutes of the episode. So, yeah. Uh, um, Tor- Torment. Yeah. Torment of Tantalus. This is one of my favorite episodes ever, so I'm curious about your, your take on it. It's one of my favorite episodes ever. Actually, uh, this is one of my favorite episodes because this is one of the... Th- I know it's cliche. Um, lots of stories, especially fantasies, guilty of this. But it introduces the whole um, sort of super awesome past that we've lost for some reason thing um Mm -hmm. so the sg team basically finds out through watching documentary footage that in the 50s 40s 20s 40s 
forties. In the forties, um, they successfully activated the gate and sent a person through, um, who essentially got stuck there. Um, so that's the torment part. He got stuck on this uh, planet, and the SG team goes and finds him, and they find this room, which is more or less a uh, meeting place for the four powerful races at the time. Um, and so again, now nah, I don't want to give that away. But we don't we don't know who the four powerful races are necessarily in this episode. Although I believe, do they make a reference to the ancients? I think they may. It definitely lays down groundwork for uh, the rest of the series. I mean, really. But one of my favorite parts of this episode was when they go back and they find Ernest. And they, because they, so the premise is that that Kate, the one that that helped them decipher the the ring and stuff like that, she goes with them to see if there's any hope that Ernest is still there, and she's kind of upset with him because he went through the gate and never came back, and they were engaged to be married, but in his like he he's been stuck there alone for so long that that one of the first things he says is you you forgave me years ago. Even though she she really hadn't, but he created this whole scenario in his mind where he had been absolved of of leaving and and all that kind of stuff. So I, I thought that was a really really well written episode, um, just because of, of moments like that. And again, for laying down the the stepping stones for the the remainder of the series. I actually uh, really like the writing in that episode, especially for that type of thing. Um, not only that, but I think he essentially like he writes in a diary or something like that. And he does make up scenarios like that all the time, like um, she forgave him and then they went on a walk and stuff like that and all of these things that clearly didn't happen, you know, because he's been trapped away from her for the last 60 years or something. But it, uh, it, yeah, and I think at some point he, he actually credits her for helping him figure out right some of the things that, that he figured out even though she, she wasn't there at all. Yeah. So, uh, great episode, definitely one of my favorites. Um, yeah. You can't miss that one. It doesn't matter. I mean, if if you're if you're gonna watch the series, but you don't think you can watch all the episodes, you you gotta at least watch that one. Yeah. Uh, Bloodlines is next. Um, I didn't really care too much about this episode, except for uh, I love Braytac. Braytac's awesome. Braytac. Yeah. Is this is this our first meeting with Braytac? Yep. Yeah. So in Bloodlines, um, it's revealed that Teal has a son and a wife. Um, as first prime of Apophis, he was in a fairly privileged position. They even had a house. I know. Spoiled people. Um, but uh, Teal'c is very much against uh, his son going into the same line of work that he did, you know, as a Jaffa and hosting a gold larva. So uh, this is Teal'c trying to interrupt. Um, I forget what his son's name is. Right. Ryak, trying to interrupt uh, Ryak um, from actually becoming a host uh, to a Gould. Uh, so, overall, not a bad episode. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't know that I have much more. There's, to there's not a ton, except for the dude that, that plays um, Braytac, Master Braytac. Um, Tony Amendola, mm-hmm. he's rad. Um especially in this show but i mean if you're if you're not as familiar with him from this show uh terminator 2 judgment day he was he was um one of uh sarah connor's confidants in in south america 
um, he had a compound. And I think he 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 had a little bit of a role in there. I think when when her and John went down there to to hide out, um, things like that. He's also in um, Once Upon a Time as Geppetto. If uh, you're watching more current things, and that's that's where you may know him from. But he's he's really good in it. Yeah, I uh, love that character. So. Um, good episode for that, and and you get to see a little bit more of Teal'c. And at this point, Teal'c has almost no backstory. He was a slave, and then that's his backstory. Um, so I like that that aspect of it too. Like, yeah, there's totally. more to the character than just that. So, gosh, fire and water. Uh, Carter and Teal'c return through the Stargate, shell shocked and distressed, to announce that Daniel Jackson was killed. So, um, he was really just a prisoner of a fish man. Yeah, the Fishman plot was kind of, eh. But this is one of the best episodes, or one of my favorite episodes so far, simply because, um, at, uh, the rest of the SG team believes that Daniel Jackson is dead, so they're having a wake. <laughs> yeah, they're having a wake for him, and uh, O'Neill being distraught as he is, um. I think he. I don't remember exactly what he's doing, but he gets pissed off because somebody parked their car in the driveway, and he just bashes the window out, all mad like. And then General Hammond comes over and has a talk, and uh, it finally closes off with like, "Well, you know, that's my car, isn't it?" He goes, "Yeah, somebody broke your window." (laughs) (laughs) Um, There was a couple good one-liners in there like when they find out that he's not dead and they he says well when i get back to my apartment daniel jackson and they're like oh your apartment oops (laughs) we had to sell that yeah (laughs) so um also it's kind of a foretelling of daniel jackson dying many times throughout the course of the series is it isn't he kind of like the show's kenny like ah daniel's dead yeah it's sure he is this isn't the first and not that certainly not the last time that he'll die or okay this is the first time they thought he was dead but he'll die yeah he's it's gonna happen just keep your eyes out yeah hathor 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 actually is um a pretty good episode and this again sets up another um piece of backstory which is how the ghoul uh sort of fornicate for better lack of better terms um, how, how they're, they're bird <laughs> how they make babies it's gross it's super gross because they're just little worms yeah mostly in a big tub of roiling water <laughs> yeah kind of a funny episode too there's a lot of silliness in the episode because hathor's power is essentially to disrupt the minds of men um, so you get some girl power stuff uh, with uh, Carter. Yeah. Yeah. Carter does have to be kind of a... Carter and you see Dr. Frazier actually get to mix it up a little bit in yep. this episode, too. Dr. Frazier, up to this point, has been... I won't say she's been unimportant, but she's been relatively underutilized up to this this point. And she kind of gets to get her hands dirty a little bit. Um, am I right? Do I remember this correctly? Is this one of the... Is this the first episode where they introduce the idea of genetic memory? I think you're correct. So the, the Gawuld actually... Any Gawuld larva that's born is born automatically knowing everything that all the Gawuld before him have learned. Or her. Yeah. I don't know. I think, that, I think the worms are kind of asexual. I don't think there is a particular gender yeah the hosts definitely seem to take a gender but 
you know, what the are you Condor do? being the queen. Maybe maybe the queen symbiote is a is a gender. Yeah. But anyway, that being said, the idea of genetic memory is kind of cool, and it actually comes into play later on um, in the series as well. Yeah. So, man, you don't have a whole lot to go for this season. Well, I guess you're about half done, a little more than half done. Yep. Um, and actually, I think that was the last one I watched. So, um, yeah, it's still a super fun show to rewatch. Like, uh, uh, everything I said, you know, a couple episodes back when we started talking about it, uh, still totally true. Loved rewatching the, episode, the series. And it does hold up reasonably well. I mean, there are some things that are certainly kind of silly that I've seen now, but overall, the series is still uh, pretty awesome. We don't see them use american or you know 21st century technology a whole lot yeah i mean outside of guns and quite honestly unless you're a gun nut and even if you are probably there's a lot of guns that really haven't changed i mean like the ak-47 was invented when and it's still all over the place and the same is true for a lot of the weaponry we see today so yeah yeah no and so anything else that we see is alien technology and you know we don't know what the fuck that looks like so we don't know if it's outdated or not so that's that's one of the one of the ways i think this holds up it's sort of like one of the things that protects star trek a little bit too especially the next generation and and deep space nine and all that stuff um because the technology is completely foreign and because everything is completely foreign um it's really just the story you have to pay attention to so all that stuff holds up pretty well it i was thinking about that the other day and actually one of the things that i noticed about it was if you look at the show from the 60s Obviously, by the time Next Generation rolled out in 87, the computer technology on the bridge of the Enterprise looked way different, and the 60s show was extremely dated, comparatively speaking. But they did such a good job when they relaunched the series in 87 that the technology that they use in it with the you know the, the little touch boards and all that kind of stuff could very easily be still something that we use today. We're a little bit probably closer to having just full touchscreen everything now at this point, but... Yeah, if nothing else, the idea of... Um, so, yeah, when you go back to Star Trek, uh, the original series, you see lots of buttons and stuff like that, like typical... Like physical dials. Physical dials, you know, like command... Like a battleship type of, you know, controls. And by the time you get to the um, uh, next generation, everything is all, you know... it. To me, you could easily replace just about all of that stuff with capacitive touchscreens. I mean, one of one of the uh, things that stands out to me is is if you look at the old transporter where they actually have like the physical like where you got to have all four fingers on the slides and slide it up in the '60s series, and they still do the same motion in Next Generation, but it's just a little whoop across a touchscreen, and that's you know, and I think that's kind of cool. That's one of the many ways I think Star Trek is a little bit prescient about technology. Like, the biggest one today, like, the best piece of, or the best example of um, what types of things we get from Star Trek, I think, could be easily answered with your mobile phone, which serves the purpose of, you know, the Star Trek communicator. It serves your your um, tricorder-type functions, um, all that kind of stuff, which is awesome. And then, you know, another and big thing tablets. is tablets yeah card was always reading on a, on a little tablet he had a kindle before anybody else did yeah do you know what the, the tablet's actually called pad p-a-d-d personal something display device yeah data display i think yeah i think you're right personal something data display which you know again very prescient uh, because although the one thing that is a little bit different the the pads i think were a little bit more single use as in the pad had like one book on it rather than being a kindle which you know holds hundreds if not thousands of books 
but yeah, an obvious oversight on Roddenberry's part. Yeah, <laughs> no, I I think for what it was, man, that that was that was definitely a, a foretelling of, of where we um, were headed and where we have now gotten. Um, it's kind of too bad we haven't reached the utopian society that Roddenberry <laughs> was looking for. We have the technology, we just don't have anywhere near the same ethical <laughs> forethought. Yeah, we're not quite there. Actually, I was just listening to a podcast about this last week. There are still jobs that we need people to do. Um, by and large, there's lots of jobs that we still need people to do. Um, but we're approaching a sort of technological singularity where we quickly do not anymore. You know, the best example being Google's driving cars or self-driving cars. Um, there's something like two million people just involved in transporting goods, you know, throughout the country, just uh, um, driving. Um, certainly they're going to be out of a job soon. Um, and so a lot of these things are going to be like that. A lot of the things that we're doing today are going to be automated by technology. And then where do we go? And I was listening to this and I was just like screaming at my, uh, you know, phone as I'm listening to this podcast saying, we have to get to the Star Trek future. The Star Trek future is exactly this. Like everybody gets, um, you know, to do whatever they want. And you know, the, the, uh, sort of con on this in the podcast was, um, well, nobody's going to want to do that. Uh, nobody's going to want to just lay around and party all the time. And I was like, yeah, but most people still don't. They join Starfleet and go do awesome shit that's super interesting all the time. They just don't toil away in the mines, you know, like we do today. Yeah, nobody... I, don't, I think that's one of the common misconceptions about that whole thing is just because you don't have to go out and necessarily get a job doesn't mean you can't explore your interests. You know, take up art. Take up writing. Start a fucking podcast, man. <laughs> if Yeah, like if I suddenly didn't have to work tomorrow, I don't think I would stop teaching myself how to code or I would stop, you know, wanting to do a podcast or I would, you know, stop these, you know, sorts of endeavors. I would probably just, do a lot more podcasts. Yeah, I would just have more time to actually explore the things that I want to do. Yeah. Anyhow. I'm... I'm, I'm totally on the same page um, as far as that goes. Yeah, so utopian societies... Um, yeah, why can't we get really to Utopia? To touch on except for, well, because we all suck as a people. I mean, mostly I think that's... Don't we? <laughs> don't you watch a lot of this stuff and just think, man, we are disappointing. Yeah, man. Because if people just stopped fucking worrying about what everybody else was doing and just focused on their own shit... Well, I mean, there's a lot of it, uh, so I guess I'm a bit of a pessimist, but there's a lot of it that's just like pure greed. Like, I was thinking about some of these things, like some of these things that would completely revolutionize the way we live. Um, I think quite a lot, like the transporter, let's take the transporter for instance. Uh, Or no, 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 sorry, a better example would be the replicators. Um, So the replicators in, in Star Trek... You know, you you touch what you want on a uh, on a panel, and it you know makes you a cheeseburger if you punched in cheeseburger. Um, Tea, oh gray, hot. Exactly. Um, I kind of get the feeling that like that wouldn't be invented today because it may be invented, but somebody would patent it, and then they would charge an arm and a leg for it, and we'd never actually get to use it for what it was, which was this you know cheap, easy, ubiquitous way to make food. Or. It would never see the light of day because there's so much money to be made with genetically altered vegetation and meat and everything else that Monsanto would just kill it. Ah, that's a brilliant example. Genetically altered, you know, food, which, you know, first off, 
gets a bad rap a little bit, but companies like Monsanto would absolutely sue the shit out of anybody, you know, to keep them from actually, you know, having an easier time of it um, my, to protect my their profit line. With genetically engineering food is not that it happens. It's that it was something that happened as soon as we decided it could be done. Like as soon as it could be done, we just did it without doing any studies on long-term effects, things like that. Like the FDA for medications is so, so fucking rigorous on that kind of stuff. But yet when it was like, Hey, we're going to make this corn so that bugs just won't even eat it. And they were like, do it. And like, we have, we have strains of corn that they grow and they sell, but the actual seed that, that they plant for it is not even considered a vegetable anymore. It's actually considered a pesticide because of how many chemicals are in it. And that, that kind of shit bugs me, man. If if we're doing shit that is legitimately going to better society as a whole and provide food for people at a at a lower cost and whatever, as long as there's no harmful long term effects, I'm fine with it. But what they're doing is they're making this all the stuff and like like the corn that they genetically engineer and grow right now. Like you can't dry it out, plant those kernels, and grow anything else. It's a one one generation cycle like it just dies the strain dies after that so we're dependent now on people to genetically engineer more stuff for us to do uh for for us to grow and that i mean what if that entire crop gets destroyed then i mean or or you know what i'm saying like it it leaves too much of a of a window for failure yeah I'm a little afraid to comment on this because I'm not exactly sure how all that works. Like my problem with Monsanto more comes to their business practices, which is that agreed. Like, uh, um, they have friends in government, so they automatically get. Well, there's all that kind of stuff, but like you know, for example, they've been known to sue small town farmers who are found to be growing Monsanto uh, um, bred crops, which you know happens when you're a farm over from the Monsanto crop because that's how you know plants spread in 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 the wild. Um, right. So, so that kind of shit bugs me, but I don't know enough about how they, how they do that. Like my impression was more that we sort of selectively breed, um, certain strains of, of plants, you know, like carrots being orange today when they used to not be, for example, because we've sort of supposed to white. Yeah. We selectively bred, uh, um, those sorts of things until they're almost a different thing. Um, yeah, I, I mean, we don't even necessarily have to. Uh, <laughs> we don't have to post this part of it either if you don't want to, because we're getting a little political, and yeah, I don't want to be divisive or anything like that. It's just that's just my own my own personal, um, yeah, and, uh, take on things. When we talk about, but you made me think of another thing when you were, we were talking about that, which is you know going back to why can't we get to the Star Trek future? And one of those is sort of the planned obsolescence. Uh, thing that we've got going on you know like 50 years ago we knew how to make a toaster that would last for you know 75 100 years yeah and now Now we know how to make a toaster that'll make you buy another one in a year and a half right isn't it amazing um but it was only 15 bucks or something like that you know like instead of the one that was 25 bucks that would last you forever basically and you know what's stupid because intel and amd have figured this out and no other manufacturer on the face of the planet has. I don't say no other. Computer parts. They're not built to fail over time. 
they don't have to because they build a product that's so cool that by the time your computer is two or three years old, the stuff that's out now does so much better stuff that even if your computer works, you want to go buy more parts and build a better computer. Not because you have to because your computer was shit and died. Yeah. I mean, maybe that's true for some of the some of the, the pre-built machines that you can get out there. I mean, some of those aren't, aren't top-notch. But if you're a, a system builder, like you are and like I am, then we're not buying new parts two years later or three years later because we have to. It's because we want to because it's a, a, a cool new innovation that we can't do with our present machine. Yeah, it's like... A- the technology leapfrogs itself so quickly, you know, Moore's law, essentially, um, the technology leapfrogs itself so quickly that it's worth it to go buy a new computer because all of a sudden you get even more benefit, um, out of the thing. Whereas, you know, we have a lot of companies and actually I buy a lot of Apple stuff, but one of the things that, uh, drives me nuts a little bit about Apple is that the shelf life on their products don't seem very long. And, I guess that's not even fair because it's not like I see anybody still rock, rocking like a, a T-Mobile G1 or something like that. But um, just feels like it should last longer than it does. With cell phones, and I think this might change over the course of the next couple of years because we're starting to see more cell phones with large amounts of RAM, yeah. more storage capacity, things like that. Um. But but for the past several years with cell phones, the problem is is that the technology that we have when we update the operating systems is so much greater than what came out two years ago that yeah you, the old the old hardware can't run the new software and that's understandable. I think that was probably the case for a lot of computers back in the day too when you know they had like five hundred and twelve megs of RAM um, and that was a lot at one point. You yeah. know I remember computers with one hundred twenty eight megs of RAM or sixty four. You know, even 32, really. Yeah, actually, I remember way back in the day, one of my favorite upgrades I've ever gotten for a computer was to boost it all the way up to 25 megs of RAM, because then I could run Doom. So I remember actually installing that chip um, um, with my uncle, who was overseeing the whole project, and, and then sitting down and running Doom and being, like, the most excited little kid you could imagine. Um, yeah, when I was in high school... You could custom build a machine, and RAM had just taken a serious price drop, and you could get it for as little as a dollar a meg. I'm thinking about that now. I have 32 gigs of RAM in my computer. That would be over (laughs) $4,000 for four gigs. Did you get the little... uh... You're running Windows 8, right? I am. Did you get the little icon pop-up thing for Windows 10? I, I did, yes. One of the funniest things about this to me is that uh, the new uh, suggested minimum requirement for Windows 10 is one gigabyte of RAM. Yep. And if you go all the way back, what was it, eight or nine years to Windows Vista, um, it was suggested that you had 512 megabytes minimum or a suggested system would run a gig. And people were like, whoa, there, fancy pants. Nobody's running a gig of RAM. Like, you're crazy. I think it had to be a gig, too, if you wanted to run 64-bit. Yeah. I don't think the 64-bit would run on 512. Yeah. But I just, I remember thinking, like, that's our new minimum. Like, this thing that we used to flip our shit about because there's no way we could, you know, people did just have a gig of RAM laying around. Now it's like, 
I don't even save gig sticks anymore. I just throw them away. Did Did you notice that the suggested minimum requirements for Windows eight or eight point one was actually two gigs? Uh. Uh-uh. Yeah, they've actually they've actually cut the requirements. They backed it off. That's cool. Yeah. It, it's amazing what we're doing with technology, and honestly, I like Windows 10. I'm I'm excited. I'm gonna upgrade to it as soon as we get it because I mean I'm already using 8.1 anyway, which everybody in their fucking dog hates. Like I think some people are just like, man, why can't we go back to Vista? But <laughs> eight eight point one is actually fine. I don't really mind eight point one too much at all. Um, but I will upgrade to Windows 10 right away because it does do a lot of cool things that I'm interested in. Like for example, more customization. Quadrant snapping. Yeah, quadrant snapping. Um, workspaces finally uh, more customization with how you use your start menu um, and the fact that it actually seems to want to recognize what environment it, it is in so for example if you're not running Windows 10 on a tablet it doesn't force you to the tablet UI paradigm which is not usually that good if you're not on a tablet um, so yeah. I like the aspect that aspect um, and then I'm really excited about Cortana mostly just simply for the fact that it's Cortana and I get to talk to Cortana and I wonder how sick of Halo references that they're going to get, you know, like in the first 48 hours of my having installed Windows 10. Um, I honestly, I should, I should plug my mic in and use Cortana on my, on my, uh, Windows 10 install that I have for my, for the technical preview. Although I haven't updated the most recent build. I do have Cortana, um, I'm excited to try um, Spartan, even though it's mostly just still IE. But <laughs> um, I'm kind of excited to, to try it because it's got a, a couple new new features in it that I want to see how well they do compared to Chrome and, and Firefox. Um, but I, I haven't been able to use it thus far because I actually have my um, Windows 10 on a on a VM. And for whatever reason, when you're running it through Hyper-V, the, the Spartan build doesn't download correctly, so you can't use it. Huh. I did get, um, I did get that the uh, version with Spartan installed. I have it on a VM um, on an ESXi stack, um, and I did get that working. But uh, the problem is, is that I'm using it over RDP, and it's so slow that you can't really tell much about it anyway. Um, but yeah, I'm not so I'm not quite so excited for Spartan. I am excited for the fact now that Microsoft seems to really want to actually adhere to web standards, mostly because uh, they didn't for so long, and now that's the reason why people like me just don't fucking want to use their browser anymore. Yeah, um, see, and the company I work for, being a medical, f- you know, company, they we use IE almost exclusively, and it's not because. It works well, but most people aren't necessarily familiar with Firefox. Um, although I have had some of my end users request a different browser, and that's what I'll usually default to. Um, absolutely can't use Chrome in a lot of situations because we have so much personal health information um, on our on our computers that are being entered through web interfaces, and Google tracks so much stuff that we can't open ourselves up to that. So. As much as I love Chrome and it's my it's my go to browser at home, 
um, at work we can't really use it and so we're stuck using IE most of the time I've actually gotten pretty good with IE just because of the fact that that's what we use predominantly yeah it's funny that you mentioned that because a buddy of mine was just asking me um, what I was thinking about browsers lately especially in light of Spartan um, and my position was sort of I don't know that I trust Microsoft long enough because now they're certainly in a position where they've got to fight a little bit more for users to be interested in them. Um, whereas, you know, Microsoft in 2000 was just kind of like, you're going to use our shit and like it. Uh, um, now that Microsoft's kind of got to fight for it a little bit more, they're doing things that are a little bit better for the consumer than they typically have. Um, but I still kind of have such a bad taste in my mouth over um, how they've handled the business in the past that I can't quite trust them. And then, you know, your other option, just like you just said, was uh, Chrome. And you don't know how much browser or how much they're taking from that. And, and we're quickly moving to a future where so much of what uh, um, so much of the things about you go through a browser at some point that I have a difficult time trusting uh, um, Chrome anymore, even though I had previously been using it for quite a while. The other problem is, at least on my install, Chrome has started to get really, really resource hungry. Um, and not quite non-responsive, but it, there, there's more odd hangs and stuff like that. So I went back to using Firefox for a while, and uh, Firefox wasn't running super great, uh, but I heard of this uh, project actually called Waterfox, which is a um, fork of Firefox uh, compiled specifically for 64-bit, um, and it's pretty quick actually. And, and so far, that's what I've been using, and I like that a lot more, um, if nothing else, because the um, if nothing else, the business model is not something that scares me too much uh, um, compared to say um, uh, Microsoft's Internet Explorer now Spartan or um, or I guess I should say Edge, uh, or yeah, it's going to be called Edge when it when it releases. Or now, Google Chrome. I also think it's important to point out that while the Spartan or Edge browser is included with Windows Ten, I believe IE still is as well. So yeah, um, see, that's such a that doesn't make much sense to me. But that's it, such a quintessentially stupid Microsoft decision, or not stupid, but it just shows the dichotomy between some, something like um, Apple and Microsoft. Whereas, um, first off, I can see the reason why they included it because the the thing about IE is that um, you may have written an app specifically for IE six and ActiveX and all the bullshit that was going on then for your business that you're now relying on that um, you can't get rid of IE for. Um, and in a lot of cases, this just means that a lot of places stuck with IE6 for way, way longer than could possibly be considered sane. Um, so you may have done something like that, whereas um, IE has maintained backwards compatibility ridiculously well um, by comparison to, say, uh, Firefox, Chrome, or even Safari on Apple's platforms. So You know what's funny is... No, I'm sorry, go ahead. I was going to say, you get both with Microsoft's products. You get um, both of them, and then, um, you know, hopefully main, most consumers adopt Edge, um, whereas Apple's would have just said, you know, here's our new browser, go fuck yourself if you wanted the old one. You know. Yeah, so this is, this is what I'm going to say about IE6, and that is it was such fundamentally terrible software in terms of, of web browsers are concerned. The reason 
why so many people were still on IE6 for, for as long as they were has nothing to do with anything other than China. China has the one of the highest rates of piracy for software in the world, if not the highest. Um, and Microsoft with Windows XP was pretty... I mean, you couldn't really run a pirated copy of XP and, and get updates. Around uh, the Curtis Pack 2 era, I think that is less true. Yeah, but... There's so many computers in China that are running vanilla XP that haven't moved beyond IE6 that that's why I mean there there's a website dedicated to the to, to the end of life for IE6 and I actually have a JavaScript uh, script that I that I put in any website that I make that basically says if you're using IE6 go upgrade your browser. I don't I don't bother with compatibility below IE7 anymore or really 8 because nobody runs 8. I or 7. Personally, see this is a funny thing to me because the web has always been sort of a changing uh, um or evolving um place. So I mean that, that's just a such such a testament to the damage that unchecked Microsoft can do to the web um because so many things were set back by using IE for so long and there are still so many hacky things that um, Internet Explorer did and does that um, sets things like that back I mean, that's less true now IE 10 and 11 in particular are fairly web standard compliant and uh, you get a similar experience with um, IE 10 and 11 as you would on Google Chrome or Safari or something like that but um, yeah just 11 in my eyes was actually a step back I liked 10 and it seemed like a lot of places were on board with 10 making their their web applications and things like that compatible with 10 and then it didn't stick around for very long we jumped into 11 and then that caused a shit ton of compatibility issues with a lot of different things um, which almost set us back and it was it was kind of a dick move by Microsoft because I had never liked IE and then 10 was kind of the the point where I was like you know what this isn't terrible. See, and that's funny because, and this is kind of a good example, but 10 may have been a step back because, or 11 rather, because they went even further towards web standards and away from the old Internet Explorer, which is sort of, you know, its own uh, tiny little world. Um, it wouldn't surprise me at all if the reason why it was less compatible for a lot of people is because it went away from these sort of old Microsoft technologies that weren't compatible with anything except Microsoft, um, you know, which is the damage that it did to the web. Um, it, had they followed, you know, sort of some sort of web standard to begin with, instead of just ra randomly and haphazardly implementing, you know, whatever was best for Microsoft, we might not be in that situation to begin with. Yeah, I, I think it's funny that we've come a long way as human beings in, in terms of tech literacy. Um, the very simple fact that Microsoft started prepackaging Windows with IE was the nail in the coffin for Netscape. And at this point, we're so fucking spoiled in terms of our technology now that, I mean, who gives a shit what they package with the with the Windows operating system? If I don't like it, I'm just going to go download a different browser. And there's six different browsers that I can think of right now. You know what I mean? Uh, see... 
but that's nerd centric thinking um google sensible defaults at some time because one of the things you'll find out is that most people never change the default yeah no i i mean that that is true but the amount of people i talk to people every day that can barely submit a help desk ticket but they don't use ie at home you know what i mean it it and firefox seems to be the the most user friendly one for a lot of people even though chrome has a lot cooler extensions that you could use <laughs> Um, and mostly, I'll tell you one of the reasons I use Chrome mostly is because I can Chromecast with it. And there's some browsers that have kind of a, um, a bastardized version of it that will work with your Chromecast. But Yeah, one of my primary uses for Chrome right now is uh, Google's cloud print feature. So uh, you basically set it up in Chrome and then you can print to any other... Uh, Chrome instance you have, you know, on whatever other machine you have, um, and not necessarily even on the LAN. Um, so I find that feature super super useful. So it still runs. I mean, it's still running on uh, my machines all the time, just for stuff like that. Yeah. Um, plus, you know, our show notes are housed on Google Drive. So. Yeah, don't get me wrong. Google does make some pretty awesome stuff, um, and I still do, you know, all of my mail and Gmail. It's just, it's getting increasingly creepy to me. Uh, yeah, I, I'm less trustful of Google than I used to be, for sure, just because of how much data they actually keep. And it, I mean, it's like the state of Oregon, man. Like, everything in the state of Oregon is connected. They they can pull up your information in one department from a different department. You know, the employed, the, the employment department has all the same records that, you know, the child support department has or, or whatever, but they require you to submit all this documentation in writing every time you do something different with it. And it's like, just pull it up. I didn't bring it with me. Well, you have to submit it. Just pull it up in your computer. Oh yeah, there it is. Really? So, it's it's so ridiculous to me that we're expected and and trust me this is not a lazy thing for me this is just a the less time i have to put my social security number and everything else in writing somewhere that may or may not get shredded properly when you're done with it the better for me um but it is what it is so um there was one other thing too that I wanted to talk to you about tonight. Not that I'm, I'm cutting this short, but I mean, I think, I don't know, we can really ex explore web browsing <laughs> a whole lot more. Um, but we talked about this uh, when we when we barbecued the steak a little bit. Best steak ever. Thanks, Bryce. <laughs> yeah. Um, music, man. Um, and we don't have to spend a ton of time on this because we're running a little bit late, but I just... Like we we talked about get being old the other day and how we don't really listen to new music as much. No, not at all. Yeah, and it kind of almost was sad to me because I was thinking I signed up for Columbia House when I was fourteen, I think, and at the time Columbia House would send you like once every three weeks or once a month or whatever they would send you um, a little 
order form, you know, and and a, a pamphlet with other shit. We didn't have the internet back then. I mean, we did, but nobody had it. And so they would send you like this catalog and stuff. And I remember specifically going through and looking at all these different records and thinking, man, I want to listen to that. And I want to listen to that. And I want to listen to that. And I'd never heard any of this stuff. But I was at 14, I was so like, I was a sponge, man. I would, I would listen to whatever music got put in front of me almost. Well, not whatever, because I didn't really like the whole hip hop stuff or the or, or country or anything like that but I like one of them specifically comes to mind and that is Guns N' Roses was one of my favorite bands at the time so I would always get stuff with like suggestions based around that and around that time and this may have been a couple years later Izzy Stradlin came out with his first solo record it was Izzy Stradlin and the Juju Hands and I never got to listen to it until I was like in my 20s or something like that but to this day it's one of my favorite records and I remember the entire reason I got it when I did is because I remembered how much I wanted to listen to it by looking at those catalogs even though I'd never heard anything that would have indicated to me that it was good music other than that he was a band member from Guns N' Roses yeah it's funny that you mentioned that because one of the things that I remember too was getting really into uh, uh, Rage Against the Machine for a while same thing probably 15 or 16 okay here's a funny question did you ever actually pay for all the cds <laughs> no. No. no 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 did no. any <laughs> did anybody who did columbia house's shit before they were 18 actually ever pay for this probably not okay so anyway a bit do of most people did anybody over the age of 18 pay for all that stuff I, I don't know but it was just so easy to say like you're dumb i'm 15 i don't have to pay for shit because i'm a minor you know yeah not only can you not enforce a contract on me but you gave me all this shit for a penny yeah um <laughs> so anyway uh that aside i remember doing the same sort of things i remember i was going to sign up for it and first off when everybody signs up for it most of the people are probably like no, this is a good deal. I'm going to do it at some point. But I remember signing up and I remember thinking, man, I got to choose like whatever it was, 15 CDs or something like that. And I really didn't know 15 artists at the time that I really wanted. So I was at some point I was just like, oh, that looks cool. So I checked a box. And this is, again, pre-YouTube, um, pre-Spotify. Can't just go and say, like, listen to three songs and decide whether or not you like a band. It was like, well, I don't fucking know. This looks all right, I guess. And then checking the box and getting it. Um and I remember that specifically because it's the first interaction I had with um, Rage Against the Machine. Um, got my first Rage album through one of those types of things. And I think that was uh, Battle of Los Angeles. Um, it's not like it was my first CD I bought, but I remember that's how I got into that and started listening to that. And it was the same sort of thing. Like I remember being excited of like, I'm going to listen to all this new shit that I don't listen to or haven't heard before. And it's going to be totally awesome. And I got into a lot of bands that way that are, are, you know, sort of mainstays now, too. I think, actually, that's how I probably got into Soundgarden, too, because I think I bought I got uh, Soundgarden's A-Sides album off of that. Just, you know, like, sort of Soundgarden's greatest hits. And you are young. Yeah. Well, I was I, in high school, like, 98, 99-ish, somewhere around there. I will confess to also having gotten my first Soundgarden record from either Columbia House or BMG, but my first Soundgarden record was Bad Motor Finger. Yeah. <laughs> so, 
Yeah, well, which which holds up to this day. I still listen to that one too because I really like that. But but that's that's sort of funny. Um, you know, people say this all the time. I'm sure this is a fairly common thing. I'm guessing a lot of people, you know, in their early thirties probably don't go on nearly the amount of music discovery that they used to, uh, um, and listen to a lot of the same shit that they did from their high school days. Um, and stuff like that like in fact that's most of what I listen to if it's not um, bands that I listen to specifically from my high school days it's it's uh, um, or I'm sorry if it's not albums that I listen to specifically from my high school days it's uh, bands whose uh, albums I got into in my high school days that have just come out with new stuff you know like I remember another one um, around that time was Tool that that's when I started getting really into Tool, and so I've you know followed them for the past however many years. I think it's been about I don't know forty or fifty years since they came out with the last album, but whatever. Yeah, yeah. When you when you actually are on a, I'm hoping like a bicentennial record. I'm hoping actually that we uh, you know get the technology figured out and we discover immortality, so I can figure out if uh, Tool comes out with another record or if. Um, Entropy and the heat death of the universe happens first. You know, they'll probably start working on it. In fact, I actually read an article about Tool. I guess they were involved in some litigation for quite some time. Oh yeah, we- and which is which is what's prevented them from re- recording for quite a while. But I think they actually have gone back um, to to writing music again. So maybe within the next five ten years, we'll have a new record. Yeah, it, it's almost like the Chinese democracy thing where Dr. Pepper <laughs> offered everybody in the country a free Dr. Pepper if Chinese democracy got released. <laughs> <laughs> did they follow through with that? I'll have to go back they and did. look that up. Cause... They did. Like There was restrictions, but they there there was ways you could get your free Dr. Pepper after it finally came out. That's brilliant. See, uh, that's the thing, actually, that scares me with stuff like that is those bands that um, have been away for so long. Like, first off, I'm sure the new Tool, Tool album will be perfect, perfectly listenable, um, but is it going to be the same? You know, like Chinese Democracy was not Guns N' Roses that everybody wanted to hear. You know, it was a it was a decent record, but it was not a Guns N' Roses record, not to me anyway. And that's that's part of what what irritates me about that kind of. And that's the other thing too, man. If you're in a band and you come together as a group. Even if you don't get along anymore, don't be a fucking dick, man. Like, Axel could have easily done anything he wanted to with any other musicians and called it something else without lawsuits and this, that, and the other thing saying, no, I am Guns N' Roses. No, you're fucking Axel Rose, and you're mostly a prick. Yeah. I mean... <laughs> <laughs> uh, that reminds me, um, you ever listen to Days of the New? Yes. Okay, so Days of the New uh, 1, the first album, I think they're all right. just sequentially titled. Days of the New's first album, I love. I still listen to all the time. Um, mm-hmm. I actually do too. Not, I mean, not all the time, but it's the only Days of the New record that I actually still listen to ever. Yeah, and why is that? Because he had that same sort of Axl Rose complex. I can't remember um, what the guy's name is now. It escapes me, but the lead singer... Um, basically fired the rest of the band like fired everybody else in the band and then kept producing Days of the New Albums which you know of course weren't nearly as good um, and then they were like hey we'll just go be tantric yeah the, we'll just go be tantric and then it gets even sadder because the next time I heard about that guy was uh, seeing him on a episode of um, or an episode of 
um, intervention. Uh, that show intervention. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've watched it a few times. Yeah, that that was the next time I recall seeing him. I mean, Days of New. I think there was probably three albums after that, and then I saw the guy on Intervention. You know, some ten years down the road, probably. Ridiculous and Tantric was amazing too. Yeah, Tantric was really good. Um, did not like the singer as much. It didn't sound as good to me. Um, but clearly, all a bunch of talented guys. But yeah, yeah. that that singer had different. His talents were were in were in different areas, you know, in terms of what he could do with his voice and stuff like that than the than the singer from Days of the New. But you yeah, know, don't get me wrong, I still listen to the Tantric album, um, and, and there's a couple. Um, but especially because I was into Days of the New a lot more than I uh, when Tantra came out, I was really excited for that, and so that still gets, you know, semi regular play. Um, but yeah, yeah, it just it blows me away that as much of a music lover as I am, and I do love music. Yeah, same. I have access to literally any music that I want whenever I want it. I mean, be it through paid services like Spotify. Um, or you know Amazon Prime, just or YouTube. It whatever. surprises me how many people just listen to music on YouTube. Yeah, yeah. Or you know the, some of the free options like YouTube, things like that. Um, and you know I'm I'm not gonna condone you know piracy necessarily, but one of the things that I think BitTorrent is excellent for is new artists up and coming artists who do not have record labels or anything like that they can get their music to anybody in the world that they want to and you know through through BitTorrent clients and honestly if i were a musician in this day and age i would avoid record companies like the plague i would go through BitTorrent. i would get as much of a local following as i would and i would shill myself to sponsors just like everybody else does without a record company tours aren't free obviously so that's why you would need sponsors and stuff like that but you're never going to make any money on selling records the record companies keep too much of that you're going to make pennies see uh, that's not i kind of disagree you can make money selling records but yeah if you go with a major label you're probably not going to um but it's interesting that you bring that up too because i've done that a lot of times like um Again, not to contone piracy, but especially before things like Spotify and YouTube were really what they were, um, I would just go to BitTorrent, especially when I didn't have any money. Um, go hit up BitTorrent or, or uh, Napster back in the day and you know find new stuff. And I really used it, especially as a music discovery service at the time. Like One of the memories I have is um, sometime, I think, right before With Teeth came out from Nine Inch Nails. Mm-hmm. I had just, you know, I'd heard, yeah, it was probably actually right before With Teeth came out. I heard whatever the the whatever the single was. Um, I think it was With Teeth. <laughs> no, um, the hand that feeds or something like that. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. No, you're you're right. Okay, so anyway, I heard that single and I was like, oh, that's not bad. And I, you know, if Chris had a, a, some sort of knowledge of Nine Inch Nails, because it's not like I've been under a rock or. Nine Inch Nails was some previously undiscovered gem or something like that, but I remember right. at that point I just went and grabbed the discography off of uh, uh, the internet somewhere, and I've bought everything by Nails since then because um, that was really how I got into it. You know, I, I bought the, I downloaded discography, got really, really into the Fragile for a long time, and of course the Downward Spiral, and and uh, 
all that. Fragile is amazing. Yeah, the Fragile is to this day one of my favorite records of all time. Um, but that that's really how I I got into that band was went and downloaded the shit off of the internet and then um, have bought a whole bunch of their albums since. I bought With Teeth after that. I bought Year Zero, The Slip, um, even Ghosts. I bought Ghosts. Um, I mean, I only paid five dollars for it because the the minimum charge wasn't that much, but. Um, and then, of course, you know, I follow everything since. So I really loved their work, or uh, Trent's work with Atticus Ross and um, uh, soundtracks and stuff like that. The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo, another amazing soundtrack. So. Hesitation Marks is, I think, one of his most underrated works, and it's it's really fucking good. Um, one of the things was with Teeth, um, not to get on a, on a Nine Inch Nails tangent too much, uh, but didn't Dave Grohl drum for him on that record? Yeah, I have no idea. I think he did. I think Dave Grohl drummed for him on that record, which was unheard of for a, a, a Trent Reznor recording because Trent does most everything himself on all of his records. Yeah. Um, yeah. Contributed drums on seven tracks. Wow. So. Um, See, that... Okay, there's another tangent we could go down to. I fucking love... Um, first off, the Foo Fighters, okay band... There, there's certainly a lot of this stuff that I really love, but I really love uh, Dave's, um, uh, I guess, desire to do other things. Like Dave Grohl has done some amazing stuff for lots of different sounding things. You know, uh, Probot, um, Drummond with Queen. Probot was fucking amazing, yeah. even though a lot of it sucked. It was still, <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Dr- drumming with Queens of the Stone Age, drumming with Nine Inch Nails. Uh, um, did was Dave in Eagles of Death Metal too? I don't remember. Uh, he may. That sounds familiar. But anyway, uh, I, I loved that Dave would you know just kind of he likes to do fun shit uh, sort of like you kind of picture Dave being like a, a big kid in that respect because you know like I play guitar and if any you know any of these bands you know were like hey you should come play with us for a record I'd be like sure you know like of course I want to do that you know like not like. Oh no, I'm famous now and I'm too good for your thing. Yeah, no, Dave Dave is God. I often wonder if he would even still be alive if it wasn't for his willingness to go keep busy because usually people with that much creative energy yeah. that don't utilize it, they do drugs and die. Yeah. And and I'm not saying that that would have happened with him. Um Necessarily, but yes, he did. Josh Homme, along with Dave Grohl and John Paul Jones, announced concert at Brixton Academy, Brixton Academy in London. Uh, another brilliant. You ever listen to that? Them Crooked Vultures. Yes, friggin' love that uh, band. I I really wish they would get together and do a, a follow up, but you know maybe that'd steal some of the magic away. I'm trying Have to. You seen? Sorry, go ahead. Go ahead. No. All right. I was I was trying to think of. Uh, there was another project Dave was involved in. Maybe I'm thinking of Sound City, where they got together with a bunch of different musicians and did all kinds of cool shit. Um, like uh, all kinds of musicians. Uh, Trent Trent came in and did a track with uh, uh, Dave Grohl and Josh Josh Holm. Um, Paul McCartney came in and did a track. God, I can't fucking remember though. I'm pretty sure that was for Sound City, but not positive. Yeah, I think it might have been. Yeah. Sound City, though, really lots of fun. Um, have you seen the live at Wembley from Foo Fighters? Um, 
Probably not in its entirety, but I've seen, I would say, three quarters of it, probably. Did you see the end? Mm, I don't know. You'd know, if you had. Probably. Um, live at Wembley, I mean, obviously the fact that they were able to sell out Wembley was huge. Yeah. Because Wembley's big. Yeah. But the final, I think it was two songs, Dave jumped back on the drum kit. Taylor Hawkins came down and did vocals, and John Paul Jones and Jimmy Page came out, and they oh, did two Led Zeppelin songs. Yeah, I did see it. I did see it. Fucking rad, dude. It was one of the coolest things. And so, if you guys are listening and you like music, especially the Foo Fighters, check out Live at Wembley. Or Zeppelin. I don't know because... where to find it. Zeppelin or anything by Zeppelin. That, well, I mean, uh, or if you like Zeppelin, check that out because it, it yeah yeah it was not bad. Like there's all kinds of shitty covers of uh, Zeppelin songs, but it it was really pretty solid. Yeah, but I mean, I think these days, if I was a band, though, like I said, if I was going to tour, I wouldn't depend on record companies. I would go literally and ask sponsors. You know what I mean? Yeah. Ask your fucking ask Gibson guitars or wherever you buy your drum equipment or anything like that. If you got enough people listening to you, they'll they'll chip in some money. Yeah, and and help you out with shit. Um, well, and really, it's always a flashlight banner in front of your stage if you have to. They've they've <laughs> always really sold, uh, or musicians have always made more money through touring anyway. Um, yeah, it's only the super gigantic uh, uh, acts, you know, like Beyonce and things like that that you. Uh, um, make a sizable portion of money through record sales. So, um, and they probably don't even make that much through record sales, but they make so much in marketing that it's ridiculous. Yeah. All right. Um, we got anything else? I don't know, man. Uh, I think I'm good. Okay, everybody. Thanks for listening. Uh, as always, you can find us on Twitter at Whatever Show. Um, you can like us on Facebook, Facebook.com/slash Whatever Show. Or email us your questions, suggestions, feedback, etc. Hate mail, um, questions at whatevery.co. Oh, uh, review us on iTunes, too. Um, I was talking to Matt about this. And even if you're a total dick and leave shitty reviews, just give us five stars. We'll read it on the air because it's hilarious. Or give us one star or whatever, and we'll still read it on the air. Yeah. But Well, but it would help if you gave us five, because then other people would find us faster. But, uh, yeah, looking for funny reviews, too. Yeah, just... Just, yeah, fuck off and write a review, all right? (laughs) All right, good night, everybody. Good night. See you next week.